Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for the grace of life and for the opportunity to worship you and to celebrate today after one year in our harvest in this chapel. We thank you for the great work that you have been doing with your people and the way, Lord God, you have led them and guided them in their work with you. We thank you, Lord, for this service. And we thank you, Lord, for the leadership of this chapel and for Archbishop and Bishop. Thank you for their lives together. Lord, as we look at your word together, Holy Spirit of God, you are the only one who hears and understands and gives us interpretation to the word of God. We pray with you to hear from the Father and bring God's understanding this morning. We ask you that you will teach us and instruct us in the way we ought to walk, so that God, at the end, each one of us will find ourselves, find ourselves in your presence in eternity in heaven. Thank you, dear Lord, for hearing us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's be seated, please. We thank God this morning for the opportunity to be in this chapel. Um, I've been around now for about 14 years, but... I want to confess that I've never entered into this compound at all, talking of entering into this chapel. And that was why when I came, they took me down, down there, and I did some jogging to be here until I found here. I want to thank God for the marvelous work that the Lord is using him to do, not only in this chapel, but beyond this territory. Like the bishop, that bishop and bishop has said and testified about your missionary enterprise. We want to thank God for the burden that God has given you to walk in this place. I must be grateful to the chaplain and the rest of the priests or chaplains in this chapel and the members of the planning committee for the harvest, uh, the chairman, Professor Wobi, and others. We thank you for inviting me to be here. And of course, we must be deeply grateful for the Archbishop and Bishop to, for inviting us to be, allowing us to come here and be part of this meeting. We spoke on Wednesday. I didn't expect him to be here, but we want to thank God for him for honoring us to come here and introduce us. For us, that is deeply appreciated. We want to thank God for the sacrifice he had to make to come. And we thank God for the work he's doing with you. And we thank God for his life and God's divine intervention concerning his health, like he has testified here. I can tell you the truth, that was God's divine intervention. And we thank God for him. And we pray that God will perfect that which he has begun to do in his life. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at your topic harvest of revival harvest of revival we saw that from the letter that was written to us that of course you have a theme this year that says revive your work O lord i was excited when i saw it why because that is also the theme that we're carrying as a diocese in fact i just left part of my youth synod to be here I will rush back as soon as I finish this to join them in the concluding service of our youth synod 
which is ending today. The Men's Synod will start uh, this week, Thursday. Uh, when I saw the theme, I, I was excited because it means that God is bringing his burden upon his church. And I believe that in the next few months or years, the Lord will be pouring a great awakening upon his church in our nation. The, we are going to be speaking from the Bible passage from where your theme was taken from. And we're going to be looking at Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, we will read just verse 1 and verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shignoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Harvest of revival. Of course, to create a background for us to dwell on the topic we're given, we need to talk a little bit about Habakkuk. The book of the prophet Habakkuk, with other prophets, there is a little change in the ministry of the prophets, or the prophet Habakkuk, with other prophets. Some scholars actually allude to the fact that Habakkuk was the child of the Shunammite woman, whom we understand was didn't have a child until she met a man of God who prophesied and that child came. That's the thinking of many. But what is important for us is that Prophet Habakkuk was one of the strong minor prophets in the Old Testament. What makes him unique is in the fact that the kind of grace that God gave to him was an unusual grace. Why do I call it an unusual grace? When you look at the background of this book, Habakkuk had the grace to stand before God to bring some lamentation and complain to God about what was happening to Israel. There was actually true two lamentations or two complaints. First was in chapter 1 verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And I will not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou will not save. The second one is actually in verse 12. Are thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. And thou, uh, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity, wherefore lookest thou upon them that did treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoured a man that is more righteous than him. Now, when you look at these arguments, if you like, that Habakkuk was bringing before God, you could see that Habakkuk stood for the people before the Lord. But if you look at most of the prophets, they stood before people for the Lord. They were speaking to the people. They were bringing 
the mind of the people, the mind of God to the people. But in this case, Habakkuk was bringing a complaint about the punishment, the trouble, the pains, the devastation that was coming upon Israel. And what bothered him was that the people God was using were more righteous than the people of Israel. So it was a burden to him. Of course, looking at that, we could say that Habakkuk stood in the place of intercession with God over God's judgment in the land. Or the invasion of the foreign army over his own country. The worry of Habakkuk, therefore, was that the nation that God was using to judge them was more sinful than them. However, God accused Israel of so many things. And of course, when you get to chapter 2, you will see all of the accusations of God in the Bible. He accused them of about six or seven things. Accused them of violence. He accused them of bloodshed. He accused them of immorality. He accused them of drunkenness. He accused them of idolatry, witchcraft, sorcery, divination, and of all kinds of things that Israel was doing. So God was like stating his case to say, I'm justified in what I'm doing. You caused the problem. And of course, when you look at that, brothers and sisters, you will discover that God is no respecter of persons. But, like I said at the beginning, that Habakkuk had an unusual grace from God, that in the midst of the fact that Israel was not justified, Habakkuk had the grace to stand before God to bring an argument to defend Israel and ask for God's mercy. Brothers, I can tell you it is not an easy matter. But then you can discover that Habakkuk was actually standing on the premise of God's promises of, war, of the world. Why? Because when you read the book of Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30, before verse 30 from verse 21 downwards, you could also see the lamentations of God about the iniquities of Israel and about the problems and challenges that Israel was creating for God. And, and these are things that make God, God. God is not like us at all. You can imagine your children are abusing you, insulting you, you know, damaging your name and doing all kinds of things. And then you ended up in verse 30 says, I sought for a man. I sought for a man who should stand in the gap that I will not destroy Israel. I don't know any parent who can do that. But that was God. Israel was violating the law. Israel was abusing them. Israel was doing all kinds of things. And yet God was looking for someone who could beg him not to deal with them. So, I believe that Habakkuk may have read Ezekiel and saw that even though God was angry about what Israel was doing, God was still like a father looking for someone who could bring his hand down. And Habakkuk just moved on to that grace. Oh, brothers. I mean, when you see such privilege of standing before God to mediate, he stood in the place of an advocate, he stood in the place of a counsel. He stood in the place of an intercessor. He stood in the place of a mediator. He stood in the place of a spokesman. Before God. In order to 
cause God to bring his sword down. And you see, when you look at this book in this context, you will discover that the prophetic ministry of Habakkuk was actually what we call a prophetic advocate. He was a prophetic intercessor. One who had the grace to stand before God to negotiate for the deliverance of Israel in the context of their wickedness and violence and all kinds of things you can think of. And brothers, there are two things actually that are common to this prophet and the other prophets. The other aspect of it was actually there was a broken down relationship between God and Israel. And that was caused by sin. So sin is a terrible thing that brings a problem between God and his people. That was a broken relationship caused by sin. Number two, is that among all the prophets and prophet Habakkuk was the fact that actually all of them always stood in the gap. For either of the cases, in the case of Habakkuk, he stood before Israel pleading with God. But the first rest of the prophets, they stood for God, for the people. Warning them and saying, God is bringing judgment. Brothers and sisters, when we look at this in today's explanation, we can see that the experience of Israel in this season is actually very similar to what we are going through as a nation. Everything God described there, when you read chapter 1, chapter 2, and then of course, you finally get to chapter 3. Because at the point, God now, you know what God did to Habakkuk? By the time God brought his points, marshaled out the reason why he must judge, he brought, came to a point where in chapter 3, <laughs> Um, Habakkuk said, Oh God, I have heard your speech. I've heard your complaints. I've heard your lamentation. But I'm still asking. Deliver your nation. Deliver your people. And he said to him, In the midst of this, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, Habakkuk did not deny the fact that God has a justification. To judge Israel. But he said to him, in judgment, do what? Remember mercy. Remember mercy. And you know, when you see Habakkuk, and you now see someone like Uncle Moses, the great leader of Israel, when God also got angry because of what Israel was to do, I mean what Israel did to God, he had led them out of Egypt and brought them to the point where they are, suddenly because there was a break, if you like, call it a break in transmission. Because Moses went up to God, they didn't see Moses again, and all of that, they began to make another God for themselves. And God said to Moses, come, my friend, this men that you brought out, suddenly they have changed. They have gone to do what they want to do. Please, I know you. Don't trouble me this time. Move out. I want to wipe away the entire people. And I want to make a new nation for you. Ah, what a great offer. God gave Moses a great offer. <laughs> if it were some of us today, we say, these people, in the chapel, 
ekwele me likwala chineke oge kwegi ime bo chapu ha but Moses listened to God's arguments very carefully and said to him papa i think you're right but there's if there are a few things i need to remind you sir do you know what you did to bring out these people from egypt and brought them here you took them from the red sea are you now saying that you want to wipe them away don't you think of what the people of egypt will say that you god took them from egypt that you are a terrible god you are a wicked god and that you want to destroy them after you have delivered them. So you didn't really mean good for them. Ah! Moses, I mean, God just stayed quiet. Then Moses came again and said, Papa, can I plead for one thing again? He said, listen, sir. Are you aware that you made a promise to Abraham? You made a promise to Isaac. You made a promise to Jacob. And I know you. When you make a promise, you don't go back in it. You don't break your covenant. When did you learn to break your covenant? Ah. God said again, but there is one unspoken one. It's not in the Bible. I know you people. You are Bible people. You will still say, brother, he has come here. And he has said something that is not in the Bible. I will prove it. This is the gospel according to sustenance. And Moses said to God quietly, he said, when you called me in Egypt, you said to me, come, take these people from the land of Egypt to their promised land. The assignment you gave me was to bring them out of Egypt and bring them here. He didn't tell me that you are going to wipe them away and make a new covenant with me. In doing that, first, you are broken your promise and assignment with me. You are broken your assignment and covenant with Abraham. Ah, at that point, God didn't talk again. All that you heard, God repented him of the evil. Finish. Stop there. So when Habakkuk heard God bring a convincing argument, he said, I have heard. And then in that context, Habakkuk quickly saw that he was talking with the holy God. What followed was, God came from Teman, chapter 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mamparan. His glory covered the heavens. The earth was full of His praise and His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of His hand and there was a hiding of His power. Ah! When you look at the description of God in this passage, you will see that suddenly, after God brought His argument before Habakkuk, Habakkuk had no choice. God gave him a revelation of his person. It's not that I cannot deliver Israel. It's not that I cannot send away their enemies. But listen to me. I am a holy God. I'm a holy God. And truly speaking, when you now get down to verse... Um, when you get to verse 16, you can, when you read from 3 down, you will see Moses... I mean, Habakkuk described God, his awesomeness, his power, all that God can do, all that he has been doing. When he gets to verse 16, he said, When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. 
rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled. In myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up into the people, he will invade them with his troops. So, he saw his rottenness, his sinfulness, and he saw the power of God. He said, when God arises to deal with these people, God will do an amazing thing. So, he saw that God knew what he was doing. And then at that point, he began to talk about the miracles of God. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The God, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet, his inside feet and all of that and all of that and walk in my high places. Of course, he now saw the glory of God's visitation upon the land. Brothers and sisters, when you look at all of this, I put them in a summary, in my own understanding of what God began to do and to, and, uh, in Israel and what he did with Habakkuk. Brothers, when you get to that, you will discover that in discussing the word harvest and revival, what is harvest? Harvest is basically, you know, a, a gathering together of the efforts, the labors, the things you have done, the fruits of what you have sown. So today as a church, one year after, you have looked in the past one year and you're looking at what God has done for you. Of course, if you look at our prayer today, it has been prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of blessings of God, try to honor God and praise Him for all that you have done. Of course, we have worshipped God and adored Him with the lips of our mouth. But there are things God did for us which we have to honor Him. Now, if you look at the two passages we read in Joel and in first, Second Corinthians chapter 9, you can see all of the benefits of the good things God has done for us. So, the word harvest is a gathering of the evidence, the fruits of our works, our labors, the good things we have done, the seed we have sown, the works we have done, the deliverance of God, the mercies of God, the healings of God, the provisions of God, even have some hard experiences, sir. You know, one of the things that happened to us as a church in this generation is the fact that we don't see, we don't see trouble. We don't see trouble and problems and suffering as part of our Christian heritage, sir. Listen to me. Suffering and enemies are part of our Christian heritage. Anybody teaching you anything out of that is wasting his time. Because at the end of the day, whether you believe it or not, whether you pray for it or not, they will come. We have entered into a season in which everybody feels alright. In fact, for me to be a good man here now, I will continue to prophesy to you until the heavens come down. But even if the heavens come down, you will enter into a season of suffering and you must have oppositions in life. If they are not there, you can't become anything in the hand of God. That is why, whether in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, or in Acts of, I mean in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 or thereabouts, when you look at each of those passages, he said all these blessings will come with suffering and persecutions. Persecutions are the ingredients, the building block of our strength and grace as Christians. Timothy will tell you, any man who desires to live godly life must suffer persecution. 
It is a must. It's not may. Because if they are not there, if they are not there, if they are not there, sir, there is no way you can prove the sovereignty of God. Huh? If all things were easy, if all things were simple, where would the fight be? Where would the, where, where would the battle be? But in that hard place God has given to you, ah, when you say it to a large majority of church people now, they will plead the blood of Jesus. But these were the kind of songs we were singing in the 70s in the SU. These were the kind of songs we were singing in the early part of our faith that made us stubborn. So, Christian suffering is an experience that we must have to be able to break through. Why are you thanking God today? Are you just thanking God because you are alive? You are thanking God because not just that you are alive, but you went through some troubles and God brought you through. Is somebody hearing me? Is somebody hearing me here? You are thanking the Lord because you went through some crisis of life. And the Lord brought you into, brought you into victory. If there were no, no crisis, no trouble, you will have a testimony. And you will even have a basis for thanksgiving. Unfortunately, we are a generation somehow in which we want to escape all kinds of problems to be at the top. And of course, you and I know where it has brought us to be. So revival is a gathering of the fruits and the benefits and the blessings of all that we have to go through in a year. But if you look at the word revival, some scholars say it came from two Latin words, re and vivere, which of course put together mean revivere. And re means again and vivere means to live. So the word revival actually means to live again. But in describing that or defining that, some of us describe it as say, we describe revival as a reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation into a life of revival. Okay? And then it encompasses the resurfacing of the love of God and appreciation of God's holiness, passion for His word, His church, and then a convicting awareness of our personal and corporate sins. Now, if that is not there, then the spirit of humility and repentance and growth in righteousness will not come. So, first and foremost, we need to have a convicting awareness of our personal sins and, of course, our corporate sin. If you look at our nation, brothers, you know that everything has turned upside down. Everything, in every sector. And you have a very powerful church in the nation. A very powerful church in the nation. One powerful scholar... And one of our strong foreign missionaries in this country, many of us know him, maybe he has even been here, Gary Maxi. He describes revival as biblical revivals begin with the agreement with the word of God, which ignites a heightened sense of spiritual and moral failure. Which ignites a heightened sense of spiritual and moral failure, resulting in deep repentance. In deep repentance, sir. And then training, turning from sin, total surrender to God, and restitution. It results in a marked moral transformation experience through relationship with Jesus Christ, leading to a radically changed life. That's one. A radically changed family. That's number two. A radically changed community. That's number three. A radically changed city. That's number four. 
a radically changed institution, a radically changed organization, a radically changed system, where righteousness will be in place. We can't talk of revival with empty mouth. We can't talk of revival when there is no demonstration of the holiness of God and the power of God and the glory of God in an environment. God is looking forward to that to happen. In other words, when we talk of a revival, it begins with personal encounter with Jesus. Who is our Savior and who changes us? When we look at our very common passage in John chapter 1 verse 12, verse 12 he said, as many as receive him, and as many as, as many as receive him, and as many as believe in him, he gave the power to become sons of God. Some version will say, become children of God, in the event of, you know, not to turn it a masculine thing. Become sons of God, become children of God. And you can see that salvation begins with turning away from sin, and two, receiving Jesus. And three, receiving a supernatural power of internal transformation of life. In other words, our repenting of sin and receiving Jesus results in the fact that there is an impartation of a saved life. God puts us, God inputs in us the power to become children of God. That's why salvation is not memorized is not acquired, it is not learned, it is not inherited, it is experienced. You experience it. And that brings you into a new nature. Of course, yes, agree that when you come into a new life that changes your whole person, then you begin to grow in the process to mature. That, of course, we are not going to dwell upon. Basically, we are trying to lay a foundation here that looking at the word harvest of revival, it brings a sense of transformation. Personal transformation, corporate transformation, which of course begins from the family level to the communal level, to the institutional level, organizational level, where you belong. Why do we talk about institutional level, institutional space, the institutional landscapes, the organizational landscape? Because it begins with a person, now in the family. Of course, what you have experienced, you try to bring that that every member of the family, by the grace of God, prayerfully, will come into that which you have experienced. And there's a family revival that every child, every father, every mother comes into personal and group experience as children of God. And then we carry the light and the grace of God which God has given us into the community so that we are not saved to just remain as born-again people within our family contest. But, God, but then we go on even to influence the community where we are. And not just the community. We carry that into places. Thank God that the people we are dealing with here are professionals in, in diverse fields. These are people who have traveled from various communities. Incidentally, there is no village in this particular environment where we are. Okay? Even though we won't say, yes, somebody does not own here, but there is no village here now. It has, become a, it, has, it has become a city in which people come from various communities, various villages and families and they are dwelling here. So, we have become a, com a new community. And then each one of us belongs to an institution. You work in a company, you work in a government prostitute, you work in a, a school, either university or higher institution or secondary school, you work in the ministry, you do your own business, you, you belong to a particular business area. 
those are institutions and organizations where you belong. Now you carry that which you have, you have received from the Lord to influence. And of course, that is what gave rise to the fact that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Is somebody hearing me here? So, you now carry this grace God has given you to influence the social structures of our society. And brothers, this is where we have a huge problem. This is where we have actually failed as a church. That we have not as a body to bring influence upon our community, upon the environment, upon institutions where we belong. And brothers, if we don't do it, nobody will do it for us. I have said, to, I have said several times, if you listen to us, speak either in radio or anywhere, white men will never come and change Nigeria for us. The one they came, they didn't do it. Did somebody hear what I'm talking about? The first one they came, they didn't do it. Is it in the second world you're expecting them to do it? They will never do it, sir. We need to make up our mind as a people to transform this nation, to transform this state, to transform the community and the organization, sir. University Teaching Hospital, Park Lane, can only become the light of this state and institution if the believers, the church people who belong to this place, decide to make God known in the land, both in word and in practice. In what we do. And brothers, has it consigned us that Nigerians are experts, but our work only shows outside, outside here. Why? The, those nations have put structures in place in which you cannot do any wuru we need to do the same in our country. And it is only church people like you and I that can put that structure in place. Only us. Nobody will do it, sir. Nobody. We that God has affected their lives will be the one who will go to institution. And brothers, when you look at people like Daniel, sir, whom we know very well, Daniel was an ordinary, ordinary house boy, if you like, a street boy whom God gave a privilege to belong to a royal family by way of being a servant in the house. But what, how did the man begin? He began first of all, the Bible says, he resolved not to defy himself. So you could see personal relationship, resolved to live righteously is the foundation. That's number one. Number two, Crisis arose in the land and there was going to be a wiping away of the entire land. And what did Daniel do when the king wanted to kill everybody? Because he had a relationship with the God of heaven. He sought an answer from him. He went to the king and said to him, Give me and my brothers an opportunity. Let's consult the God of heaven and see what he will do. Brothers, this man, because he had relationship with God, asked the king to give him permission not to kill everybody, but we shall provide the answer. Remember, in that story, the king never told them what the dream was. Because they had God, they went and called on God. God gave them the answer. They came, brought the solution 
to the crisis. And suddenly, they were lifted up. The people, jealousy and other things. When you hear about jealousy, when you hear about that, when you are making progress, sir, it is your heritage. If there is no jealousy, you can't grow, sir. I have never seen a man who had not been jealous that ever grew. Sir? I've not seen it. Anywhere. When men hate you, the Bible says rejoice. <laughs> rejoice! You know why? It will push you to seek the God of heaven who made you. Uncle Daniel sought God. And you know, he, did, he was not a lazy man. In the fact that yes, he knows God, he called on God and God answered him. The man decided to show excellence in the job he was given. Because he heard from God was not a point to be lazy. Like many of us who are born again even do. Because you hear from God, you go and sit in your house. I'm waiting for God to, to speak to you alone. Bano. They gave him an assignment and the Bible said, what was the testimony? Daniel distinguished himself. Excellence. And that brought enemy. And then of course, the more they hated him, the more God lifted him up. Brother, sister, the revival we're looking at will bring us to God, will cause us to seek God for solutions for our country. We have problem in Nigeria. All of us, we got to do what Habakkuk did. We need to get into a courtroom with God. In fact, what Habakkuk did is a typical courtroom intercession. That's what we call it. Courtroom intercession. I mean, lawyers will understand this better. Because they will bring their... brought his petition, brought his argument, brought... Fight his case before God. So, we will need to do the same for this country. We will need to understand that God is depending and is looking for a man. And that man can be you. And brothers, when you look at all of that, by the time that, you know... Uh, Dave, I mean, Daniel went into all of that with people of Israel. <laughs> the man was thrown into the, into the den of lions. And you and I know what happened, how God sent an angel and delivered him. And because the man stood to die for the Lord, God touched the hand of King Dairos, who now made a proclamation that the whole land will serve no other God than the God of Daniel. Brother, listen. If Daniel did not stand... If Daniel did not take the risk, if Daniel did not make up his mind to die for righteousness, that would not have happened. And let me say to all of us, the reason why we're going the way we're going, we're not prepared to die for righteousness in Nigeria. That's one thing God got to do in our lives together. We have so many Christians, millions of them, but we are not prepared to die for righteousness. We've got to die for righteousness. I mean, just go to one institution and somebody is coming to work late regularly and you give him query. The next thing you will hear is he the only one that comes to work late. You know it doesn't happen here in the city of Enugu. But for us that are in the city of Ungo, plenty of it. Just give one query. Tell the man, I give you three months suspension for tampering with government public fund. The next thing you hear from believers, I'm not talking about unbelievers. Is he the only one who has been taking government money? 
You know you people don't take money in the city of Enugu. We over there, we do. Is somebody hearing me what I'm talking about here? We're not prepared for all of that. We just want to feel alright. We want to do it the way. But you're telling God today, we need a harvest of revival. We need God to bring back again that righteous stand that we used to know in the 70s and early 80s. We need to go to work. You know in your place here, you work in local government, you go to work every day, 7 you are there, 4 o'clock you close. But where we live, we go to work 12 noon, dismissed by 2, once a week, at the end of the month, we collect salary. You people don't do it here. You are all righteous people. But we need to understand that God is looking for men who will stand for him. Change. You are talking of a productive civil service when people don't go to work. They don't have assignment. There's nothing to change the economy of the ministry. We are waiting for white men to come and do it. Where would that happen? It will never happen. We need to change the entire system. I know in Esu Teaching Hospital, there's no scarcity of drug. The pharmacists are all there. The drugs are in place. But if you come to our health center in Ungu, no drug. You people are righteous people. You are in charge. But suddenly, the drugs you are manning is no longer available. Who will come and do it? A white man from UK will come and do it. A man of our hospital. That I even hear people say, let the white people come again. Let them come and man our work. So it means that all the investment God has done in all of us is a waste. Sir, we need to ask God to bring us to that point where we need to stand up for him even in the place of justice. Whether in the ministry of justice, whether in the ministry of education and teachers and principals, whether in technology, in science, in medicine, in business, wherever we are, we need to restore righteousness in that place. We need to. Until the product of our faith, you know the evidence of our faith and our claim, it is seen in the works that we do. Not in what we say with our mouth. Ah, one of the things that will hit us as a church, which I believe the Lord Jesus will do for us, is the fact that within the church, there is atmosphere of righteousness. All of us are looking holy, well-dressed, speaking in tongues and prophesying. If I start prophecy here, none of you will go here. So if you want it, I'll give it to you. But that is not the issue. The issue is what is the product of my prophetic life? What has it done to improve the welfare of the society? Brother, that is what we finally saw when we read this Habakkuk. The man began to now say, Ah, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Revival will bring rejoicing in the Lord. He said, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. God becomes your strength. And then you will make your feet like a high wind feet. You will make me walk upon my high places. Now, when revival comes, you see God take you to that level. In fact, let me say something. Let's go to Jewel. If you go to Jewel where we now read, you see what this, what the issue of revival. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy they chose that text. Because it had to tell us what happened. First and foremost, before we come to verse 18, 
which began to tell us of the manifestations, the blessings, the glory that followed the revival. He said in verse 12, Therefore also said the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repented him of the evil. That is God, brother, sir. When we turn to him with all our hearts, in weeping, turn away from our sin, it doesn't matter how much we have gone in sin. God is able to save us from that sin. It is his heart desire. He said, it is not my will that any should perish. God is God available to save us, even now that we're here. It doesn't matter the height of iniquity. Of course, when you look at the book of Habakkuk, you can see the level of accusation God brought upon Israel. I mean, nobody will do that and God will spare him, sir. In fact, if anybody does that here now, we will jail the person. Go and look at the gravity of offense that Habakkuk was dealing with. It was so much. So, and God is saying, he is gracious, he is merciful, he is slow to anger, and of great kindness and repented him of the evil. So, God is ready to change his mind. If only we will come, if only we will read our hearts. And then he said, who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind? If a meat of, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord God, Lord your God, blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast, let the little groom that go forth in his chamber and the bride, let the priests, the ministers, and of course, the Lord weep between the porch and all that. So, I mean, you see all that. He was talking to the priests, he was talking to the ministers. Of course, it is very clear that if this had to happen, if revival had to happen, the priesthood would have to lead that. God laid emphasis on that. And then suddenly in verse 18, he went on and said, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land. Ah! Listen. God. In fact, that alone, that alone, brother, is an enormous privilege that we can't we can't quantify god will now become jealous for his land hey sir you you know what it means for god to be jealous for you that phrase alone takes care of the rest of the matters in your life in other words you have a sure anchor we have a sure defense <laughs> we have a sure protection from the God of heaven. He, he is, his protection is guaranteed. His defense is guaranteed. He said, I will be jealous for your sake, sir. I'll be jealous for you. That's what he said. I'll be jealous for you. And you know what? When God becomes jealous for you, there's nothing he will not do on your behalf. And in fact, when you now go down, you now see the enormous things that he did. Yes, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send a corn, I'll send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the headed. Can you imagine? When you read from verse 19 to 32, you will see a list of, a list of the blessings of God, just because people have made up their mind to serve the Lord. Brothers, that is actually the quantum of the harvest, the abundance of the provisions the things. Can we, can we, let me say something to us. 
can we actually wait patiently and take the risk that Daniel took, Nehemiah took, Joseph took, so that what happened in Jewel chapter 2 from verse 19 to the end will be provided for us. That is the summary of all of the provisions. And brothers, I can plead with us here. Because as I stand here and look at you, we have responsible men here. Can I say something to all of us here? Enugu State can transform from this place. Did you hear what I said? Enugu State can transform here. Because as I look at a few of you that I know here, you are virtually in every system in this state. Uncle Daniel and his brothers, only four of them, change the entire nation. God has men like you. Let us make up our mind and resolve to follow the Lord with all our hearts. Let us make our mind to practice justice and judgment. Let us make our mind to, you know, work to excel. Show an example. You know, sorry, you know, sometimes when you give personal testimonies, like, it's like, it's like, it's like a praise, but please forgive me to just say this one. When I was working in Shell, I had become a priest and I had become a venerable even. My boss, Every job he delegated to me, I did it with ease. How that happens, I don't know. But that was an exceptional grace from God. I remember a particular year in our department, they said, if we don't finish 40 projects in that year, they will shut down the department. You know, that's why I like private enterprise. It's not like what we did in the civil service. So, Everybody had to work to protect that job. And they shared jobs all over the place. I had about 25 contracts. And of course, many of us had our own. We were about 11 engineers in that section alone. Not even in the whole department. And by the grace of God, when that happened, I prayed to God and said, God, these jobs, you know all the bottlenecks in contracting. You got to do feasibility study. You got to package your contract. You got to lose, select your contractors. You got to give award and all of that. And you know what happens in Nigeria. And of course, we did all of that with ease. I was going all over the place, doing feasibility studies, packaging the contract, getting my contractors, giving them contracts. And I will warn you, everything must be in that contract. You don't have any need to do any shortcuts. You don't have any, any need to do a lesser quality of that job. You got to do it the way it is. And, of course, I'm not going to create a problem for you. You know what Nigerians mean? If they come, even the one that is there, they tell you it is not right. It is wrong. They want to squeeze your hand so that you come behind and give them money. There's nothing like that around us. The work went. By the end of the year, God completed 19 projects with me alone out of, ele- out of 11 engineers. By the time my, our head came, he was my member. That was the funny thing about the job I was doing. My head was my boss. And in the church, I was his boss. So, the day he harasses me, I will tell him, Oga, if you come to the church, I won't give you communion. <laughs> we will laugh over it and joke and go. 
So that, that year he was so excited. He said, can you see my venerable? He alone completed 19 projects. And all of you, only 21 projects. All of you, the 10 of you. I mean, for me, and they tried to ask me, what did I do? I said, what I did was that everybody did my job according to the specification, and I didn't ask anybody for one naira. Simple. We got to bring righteousness to, pra- to play. Once you hear you have Venebleza's contract, that's the end of it. But you see, it didn't stop me from having trouble. One of the years, God did something, I mean, the devil did something very amazing. A young man was doing job for me at Obia, Jonathan's town. Then, I think, he, was either a governor or something? A deputy governor? So, the young man, we have safety policies. You got to obey them. And all of them have to be in place. Of course, safety is the primary task of that establishment. You got to put them in the contact document. You got to read, dot the T's and the I's inside them. And of course, you don't go to work during break time. You don't start work unless you do what we call safety pep talks. We have to look at their jobs for the day. Look at all the hazardous things that are inside those jobs. And tell you what to avoid so that you don't have an accident. This young chap, during the break, usually during the break, the local government uh, 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 headquarters will put on generator. So during break, the boy didn't know that generator was on, climbed the pole in order to continue his job, stringing his cable, and got electrocuted and died. Hey! In Shell, ordinary, ordinary motor accident will suck you. Talk less of somebody dying. So this guy died. In fact, I'm happy just a few weeks ago, George Ezequiem, he called me. He said, ah, Bishop, uh, Reverend, he had become Bishop. He didn't tell me. I saw a guy, he was the manager of that department. When he called me, I mean, when I got to see him, he said, Reverend, Reverend, this is not church. I'm going to sack you. I was like this before him. And then, investigation was set. Right from the day of feasibility study, the time of execution, the accident happened. What and what did you do in order that this accident will not happen? We went through an audit that was horrible. My immediate boss wrote his will and gave to his wife. He said, if I die because of this accident, this is where all my money is. Where? That to tell you the level of seriousness of that job. I prayed I looked at all my papers, all the meetings, brought all of them. They looked at them. I appeared before the managing director in Lagos. This thing you're calling Zoom has been in existence long ago. I was in Portacourt. They were interviewing me, asking me all kinds of questions, just to find a fault to sack me. And by the time I went through that audit and came out clean, that was nothing but the finger of God. If you don't take excellence as a servant of God, then you are not a child of God. God is a God of excellence. God is a God of integrity. And God is a God of blessing. I want to encourage you today. Come to this Jesus who is the master planner and excellent God. He alone is able to change us 
He is alone. When you leave, because of time, go and study that verse 19 to 21. There is an abundant blessing. God said, I will be jealous for you. I said to somebody here, God will be jealous for you. Are you here? You have not made peace with Jesus. You need to give your life to him. And he will lead you. Don't play with Jesus. Because without him, you can't go to heaven, sir. God has systems. He has, you know, the way he works. God is not a debtor to anybody. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 we read. There we talked about giving. Giving. I know a little bit about your church because of your pastor. We are a giving church. And I know that when you give, I'm not sure anybody here can claim that God is owing him. There's nobody who has ever given that God has owned. God is not a debtor. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking, running over, shall men give unto you. God is not a debtor. If you want to prosper, really, in addition to living in righteousness, you've got to learn to give. God is a giver. The life of God is given. That's why when you can't read John 3.16 without reading 1 John 3.16. You see, Jesus laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for other men. Have we laid down our life, our establishment? Where we work? Are we working because we want to impress somebody? Or because we want to bring transformation to that environment? You you are the only one. If Nigeria will change, we are the only one. If Enugu State will change, we are the only one. If a Sioux teaching hospital will change, we are the only one. If the Minister of Justice will change, we are the only one. If the market, obey the market will change, we are the only one. No other person. And God has kept you and I alive that will bring revival to our economy, to our politics, to our institutions, to our organizations, to our ministries and establishments. God has kept us alive to change all of that. And when we do, the name of the Lord will be glorified. And finally, we shall be accepted in heaven. Let's bow our heads to prayer. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what God said to you here this morning. Because of the level of this topic, we'll put hands in so many areas. But I, w- I would like you to consider your ways. I would like you to look at your life. Am I bringing the life of God to bear where I am? Am I really a child of God? I need to change after today in the way I do my work. In the way I marry my wife. In the way I marry my husband. In the way I manage my family. I manage my children. In the way I go about the business that I do. In the way I manage the community God has given to me to manage. In the way... I mean, you are the head of the kindred. I can see some elderly people here. If care is not taking you, you are the head, the head of the larger family. God has brought you as the head of that family to bring revival into that family. How do I manage that extended family? That kindred? That, that you know, hamlet? That God has made me the head, the oldest man in that kindred? What am I doing to bring transformation in the entire village? These are questions that God is asking many of us. And I want you to resolve today Brothers and sisters, men and women, I want us to look at how are we carrying on, sir? We're talking about harvest of revival. There must be change in our institutions. 
There must be change in our families. There must be change in our communities. We must bring God to bear upon those communities that we are leading. Those institutions we are leading. Those departments we are leading. Those faculties we are leading. Something new must happen. Every staff must be committed. We must be productive. Let's ask the Lord to give us help in these systems God has brought us. As elders, what, how do we handle all of the corruptions and all of the confusion, the blood lettings and all of that, the wickedness, the hatred, the bitterness? How do we bring our responsibility as elders to bring justice and peace in the entire land? God says, I will be jealous for your sake. Ask God, please touch me. Help me to resolve today. This harvest cannot end without me harvesting the fact that I need to be an instrument of revival. I need to bring change where I am. Are you here today, brothers? You are not born again. You can't do it, I beg you, sir. See, look at all the magicians of Egypt. They tried to do what they couldn't. It was only Daniel. Because he had a God. He had God. Who owns everything? You can't bring real deep solutions if you don't really have real deep relationship with the master. If you are not born again, brother, I beg you today to give your life to Jesus. Make him your Lord and your Savior. I want all of us to just put our hands in our, our chest. And I want you to pray along with me. My Father. Pray after me. My Father. Thank you today. Lord God, help me that from today I will become an instrument of change for righteousness in my family, in my community, in my establishment, in my institution, in my department, in my business sector, in politics, in my profession. Lord, make me an instrument of change. In this season, Cause me to be an instrument of change, instrument of revival, instrument of righteousness, instrument of justice and judgment. In the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All we can do is nothing